The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Second time. Right? And it looks like it's working. It seems so like nobody it's got all the noise of me fixing your <laughs> microphone stands. <laughs> or shock mounts, rather. It's not my fault that your wife came in and attacked it first thing before we even got started. Uh, I'm aware. Yeah. It is all her fault. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. She'll nap. She'll fall asleep and start snoring in the corner. Probably. Yeah. Um, right. So as I was saying, I found a Canadian seller, just in case anyone listening realizes we're picking up mid conversation. We didn't actually really get started. No. We, re- we realized that we screwed up before we got started. Well, that's a pretty common occurrence. Although we've been good. We, yeah. Um, after this hasn't happened in a while. Eh, it's been, it's been a couple months anyway. Yeah. Right. At least. Well, let's not go that far. We have had guests not show up. Yeah, well, whatever. That's a pretty big technical glitch. Although that's more a logistical glitch. Yeah. Yeah. That's not technical. That's fair. That's fair. I'd realized after, um, after last week's guests didn't show up, um, well, we didn't talk about it on air, but I went back and, and reviewed that she didn't actually confirm that she was going to show up. Oh. I'd sent her the email asking her which date because she'd suggested early in June. Uh-huh. Excuse me. Uh, she suggested early in June, and I sent her an email asking which date, which was, and I sent that email at the end of April, and she never got back to me, which is okay. Okay. Uh, she's off to, uh, off to Jasper or Banff for the award ceremony. That's neither here nor there. If is she ever, if she ever comes on, um, yeah, that reward ceremony that you have a record. No, 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 no. That's happening in Nashville. Okay. No. Um, I got to be honest. After um, last week, I forgot all of my research, so I forget what she was being awarded. Okay, it was a ten thousand dollar bursary, something like that. Huh. Yeah filmmaking that'd be nice yeah the thing i wanted to talk to her about um was and i won't mention her name in case she doesn't want to be mentioned on our silly little podcast she had done a 10-minute documentary about immigrant families Mm -hmm. in canada um and it was really it was really um tear-jerking a lot of uh wet eyes in the room Right. As I saw 
Oh, I saw it a couple weeks after it was released, I guess. But anyway, she, her and I had talked about, um, while she was making it, her and I talked about um, coming here to do the post-production on the audio um, just to help clean it up, make sure it was okay because she has no experience in that. Anyway, she fumbled through it and ended up making it sound really good, but then later admitted that she never wants to do it again. So sometimes that's what you got to do. Yeah. Is do it yourself once just to realize that it sucks. <laughs> Meanwhile, it sucks and, yeah. I'm willing to get paid to do that kind of stuff. Exactly. Well, oh. I, I enjoy editing like vocals and stuff. That, that is strangely enjoyable. Spite right? the weird way that I do it. Yeah. It's, it, it's almost, once you get into a groove, it's almost, um, it's almost relaxing. Almost. I, I usually watch a movie while I'm editing anyway. I try to watch TV so that it, it, it just kind of goes well, it's on like in the background. Background noise for me. Right. Yeah. And I'll usually pause if I have to listen to something, but I'm, I don't know. At this point, I've gotten to a point where it's just, I can not listen. Yeah. When I'm, especially when I'm DSing. <laughs> yeah. You still do it manually, hey? Yep. You really got to find uh, something to do it for you because there are so many there are so many easy to use plugins that sound just fine. I do it myself because of all the DSers I have tried. It's just like they only duck it by a certain amount, and I don't want to automate a DSer. What um, what DSer what DSers have you tried? Uh, I've tried the Waves DSer, and you don't like that one? Nope. Um, I've tried some freeware DSers, built-in DSers for Cubase, Reaper. Um, I think it's Logic, but Logic in general I don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to try Sonics's um, DSer. Because supposedly it automates itself. Oh right, right. And that I don't know. Maybe that that's what I I need is something like that that detects the different frequencies of the S's and stuff. Right. Because as it is currently, I just <clears throat> look at the S's and then duck them. However much I think needs to be ducked, which is usually like six to ten dB. That's fair. I um, I can't say as I've ever had a problem with DSers. Um, I used the Cubase one for years, and then I used the Wave one for years after that. Mm-hmm. Um, then I was using the uh, the UAD DSer, but they're all they're all um, like band specific rather than individual frequencies. Right, and that's the like like the waves deesser. It it splits the signal into what into two bands. Mm-hmm. A band it, it ignores and a band it compresses. Yeah, well, and, and, you and get that's to, the thing that I don't like about it is just the whole. It's gonna ban. It's gonna compress a lot of things, and some of that I don't want. But that's the thing is it it just compresses the the the. 
S and T and ch sounds that no, it doesn't. It you does. Know. It does. We use it on the podcast here, and 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 that's it. That's all it does. You, 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 if you set it up properly, then yeah. it absolutely does. Same with the same with the DBX uh, hardware unit that that I'm using now. Um, it it operates slightly differently, but it's still like it still just just compresses that band. I, I've noticed a lot of DSers will also compress above that, though. Well, we, absolutely, but that's like, and I don't always want that. But if there's if there's an if there's an aggressive S sound, and in, in, in fact, I've never used one that is just focused on a specific frequency and ducks like a dynamic EQ, right? Mm-hmm. I've I've never used one of those. I've always used one that is basically a shelf, and it takes that high shelf and ducks that shelf. Yeah. See, and that's what I don't like. I don't understand why. Because during that S, that aggressive S sound, there's nothing else going on there that is in any way going to be affected adversely by that de-esser. Breath noise. Breath noises and S's don't happen at the same time. That's physically but impossible. Release for times time. for DSers can. Okay, so get one with a fast those. release. But all, all of all of the all of the DSers that I have, they all have fast release times. Yeah. The only one that the only one that's even changeable that I have is the UAD, and you can set it to slow attack, slow release, or fast attack, fast release. I, whatever. I, <laughs> there's a lot of things I don't like about DSers. That's just one of those things. And it, like even the whole fact that it's a shelf isn't a huge thing for me. It's just it's one of those things that I would just like a band, and I would like that band to be automated. I think you just, and I don't want to automate that band, <laughs> so I just edit it. Because it just makes more sense to me to look for the football shapes and duck them myself. <laughs> and it, on tracks where like it was recorded poorly, where the S's and the plosives are louder than everything else, yeah. the DS not going to do the job effectively. You're going to have to stack DSers, and sometimes it's going to affect the audio. And I find that editing in those cases is much more effective. And you're possibly right. Um, if something is over compressed or, or like you say, recorded poorly, mm-hmm. um, then that's certainly an issue. Yeah. But it, but those are those are fewer and fewer cases. I suppose. I just I don't know. At this point, I got such a rhythm into editing yeah. vocals that it doesn't take me any longer than when I normally. If if all that was done for me prior to editing vocals, it'd still take me the same length of time. It's it's less than a second of me just pushing B twice, holding shift and dragging something down. And that's all I I do. So I'm pretty quick at it, and then I'm also doing time edits at the same time. Then after I'm done, I just usually glue the whole thing together, and if I need to make more edits, I go back in. That makes sense. Yeah. 
I mainly glue it all back together so it doesn't look like a freaking mess of cuts everywhere. But. <laughs> yeah. That's just an aesthetic thing. Yeah. That and I like if I have to go back and edit something because I was just off by a beat or something. I, I, I like to have a, flesh, a fresh um, slate Makes instead sense. of having all my time positions. Um, yeah. Having more work for me because I have to change everything. If that makes sense. I mean, I know Mostly. what I'm talking about. I just don't know how to word it. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. How did we, how did we get on the topic of DSing? Uh, talking about how editing sucks and how we get a strange enjoyment out of, out of it. Yeah. And then I talked about, well, then, you know, inevitably... We talk about my weirdo editing mm. techniques where right. I DS manually. I get the same. Um, I even deplosive manually. Yeah. But I think those are better to do manually. Oftentimes, because then you don't have to, you don't have to um, EQ as much. Yeah. Right. Filter. I mean, I still use an EQ when I'm manually doing it, but... At this point, I have shortcut keys that load up uh, yeah. an EQ with the settings I need. Because right. it's usually 200 hertz high-pass filter, done. And then maybe attenuate the signal a little bit. Gotcha. That's fair. Yeah, I haven't, yet, I haven't had to um, deal with a plosive in... Gotta be a few years. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Lucky you that way. Usually as I'm editing vocals, I get into the like super picky ear mode, and then I, I hear like the slight plosives. Right. Like when we, or when I was editing our podcast <laughs> way back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I got super picky mm. and would edit your ticks and pops and all the other weird noises you make with your mouth. Yeah, like those. <laughs> yeah. I have... Um, or even like those weird most of that times where like whatever happened, it was distorting. That was a weird one. Ah, uh, that was episode two and we were using that weird mic that was cutting in and out. Yeah. But not that it's a weird mic, but... Um, well, I just there was a weird problem where... Yeah, it was dropping sometimes like 24 decibels. I had, and, it was more than 24 was it? What isn't it? I remember having to boost ridiculous. that signal a ridiculous amount. It was something ridiculous, yeah. And then like uh, apply things to help clean up any of the floor noise that I brought up. Yeah. yeah. And then other times it was like giving us a weird distortion name noise, so I had to like load up some other effects, get rid of Wasn't those. Was fun though? Uh, <laughs> so how I, long did that take me to do that episode weeks, alone? Right? I was approached by a gentleman um, yesterday, yesterday morning, Yeah, walking the dog, get a phone call uh, from this guy that has four 12-hour days recorded um, 
48k 16-bit wave files okay um he set up a he just set up a um recorder in his office or the general office area um on a plant site okay for uh 4 days worth why he didn't want to get into too many details um and so i just didn't press anyway a 12 hour it was 12 hours and 25 minutes each and none of my software would load a file that big like a single mono file that was over a gig i know it, it it's different to record that much data right but to load that much data um it took me I don't know, it took me two hours to... Probably um, take a while just to load that data into a DAW. Actually, it was it was about four minutes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, as it, as it turned out, my last choice for that kind of thing was Pro Tools. And it worked? Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Makes e- sense. Everything else, everything else was giving me grief. Pro Tools is kind of built so that they could be used on uh, film and stuff. Yeah, so it makes sense that you could load that size of a file. Yeah. Anyway, so weird that none of the other DAWs would do it, though. Well, I got error. Um, I got error codes that made me think that it was a codec problem. Oh. Um, and so I went looking for the codec, and the codec was a 2004 standard. Oh. Yeah. Um, it was a, what did they call it? It was an automatic adaptive PCM pulse code modulate modulation. Okay. And it's supposed to be some interpretive of the next sample type of codec. Anyway, um, I even, the, the guy had mentioned that he'd loaded one into audacity he downloaded audacity and loaded one into audacity but couldn't load the others and that's why he came to me he couldn't understand why they wouldn't work so i even downloaded a copy of audacity just to see i couldn't get it to load anyway so last the last thing i tried was throw it into pro tools and that worked yeah it was just like anything else what did he want um, he wanted some noise reduction, uh, to make the dialogue clearer. Um, all easy stuff, right? Yeah. Just having to be on 12 hour files. But that's still manipulating audio and thus you couldn't use those copies in court if that's the intent. Right. But he still had, he still had many copies of the, of the original files. Yeah. Fair. Um, and, and it was, I just, yeah. When I get approached with those things, I have to. I'm always informing him that you're manipulating yeah, he, audio. He made he made no he made no indication that that there was um um that it was to be used for court. Right. Um the the closest he said was that some of his some of his business associates would hear it and that he'd already he'd already transcribed the important parts. Um he just wanted to make it easier for for people to hear. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, that's super easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so that's, I hope I'll get around to that today, but I'll probably get 
I'll probably not get around to it until tomorrow. Um, my thinking is that rather than listen to 48 hours worth of audio, you're just going to listen to snippets of it. Yep. Make sure that the processing, I have like six instances of things going on just to make, yeah, make it work. You should probably still tell him like, I didn't listen to all 48 hours. Well, yeah, he, he, he specifically asked me to not bother. <laughs> well, yeah, there's no yeah. point. I wouldn't do it. You would have to pay me a ridiculous amount of money mm-hmm. to listen to 48 hours of audio. Yeah, well, I, I charge him for 48 hours. Minimal. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would, still have to do I would charge him per hour that. for listening. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. That'd be a lot of money. It's a uh, lot of wasted money. It'd be five days of listening minimum. Um, so that's, that's $2,000 right there just for listening. Um, plus all the manipulation or editing or anything that he wants done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of handling noise on the device. Like the device was clearly really cheap. Um, a lot of handling noise. Uh, limiter took care of that. Um, a lot of, just random noises, a lot of general office noise, computers whirring and all right, coffee pots and yeah, okay, yeah. Anyway, it was it, it was it was a really interesting challenge. So much so that when I realized that it was a problem to import a twelve-hour audio file, because um, I didn't expect that, I didn't expect it to be an issue. Um. I didn't charge him for the for the time that he was sitting here watching me read through Google <laughs> to try to solve a problem. Those are the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get those at work too where somebody asks me a question and I was just like, you know what? That's interesting. Let's find out. Google! What? <laughs> and then insert question. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was hard to find. Hard to find any information at all because you type in audio file too long or or uh, or looking for the codec even, especially the, the codec. The newest information I could find was 2005. Um, and just on and on and on. I, it, was, it was really hard to find um, any information about it. Right. Uh, until, I, until I stumbled on a... It was a filmmakers forum that was talking about Avid products. And that's where I found an indication that Avid products might be able to handle file sizes that big. And I was like, oh, well, shit. Why didn't I just try Pro Tools to begin with? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you have Pro Tools. At least I have Pro Tools. That's right. And now 48 hours of audio to manipulate. I think it was last week I went to a mesh, or it was the week before. The week before. The week before. Says the sleeping woman. I'm not yes, you are. <sighs> I went there, taught that class. Well, I say taught, it was. Talked talked to the class right that was a 
they're still I think they're still at the beginning of the course, so they don't know a whole lot. Um, but it was interesting hearing how many of them were wondering about the business side. That's an interesting change. Yeah, it was an, uh, an interesting one because I'm used to like, what do you do for this? What do you do for that? And like answering those questions. But a lot of it was like, do you need an internship to be uh, an engineer? And it's just like, no, but I found it useful. It can uh, help, right? How long does an internship take? Well, depends on the studio you get an internship at. And depends on the student. Yeah, and I informed them a lot of that too. Yeah. Like I told them that I wasn't an intern for very long because right. James didn't see the need to. Well, I'm you. You knew what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. It was more a matter of you just needed a place to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, questions like that. Um, cool. And even being asked, like, and this was an interesting one because they found out I worked at Long McQuaid, and then they're, they had questions about like how if I think Long McQuaid's my main job now that mm-hmm. I have it, and I had to. Be, I was pretty honest with them and saying like, I don't see myself quitting Long McQuaid to do freelance audio engineering anytime soon. Anyway, not anytime soon. Yeah. I would have to have a pretty steady amount of work before that is uh, yeah. a thing because yeah. I've tried freelance work and I know how difficult it is and I know how roller coaster it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I had to, I, and I informed them like, you're going to make a fair amount of money sometimes. Other times you're going to make nothing. Exactly. I think I'm still, I think I'm still a solid month in the hole this year. Expenses versus income. That's not bad. It's pretty good for some years. Yeah. Yeah, but a month in the hole like that. Yeah, I'm. I'm just comparing comparing expenses to income, right? So right. a month's worth of expenses that that I'm behind on ish. I mean, I'm sure other studios in town are. Hey, okay, so speaking of other studios in town, did you know Black Box is moving? Mm-hmm. Where are they moving to? I, I, I sent, I sent Steve a message and he never got back to me. I don't know where they're moving to. Okay. I just I heard that they were having their farewell jam um, a couple of weeks ago. Mm, okay. On a Saturday or a Sunday or, I don't know, one of those days. That's too bad. That was a that was a cool vibey place. Yeah. I know he'd had ton of problems there, but a bunch of us were talking and it was just like doesn't surprise us that yeah. he's moving. I hear it's going to be a, like a smaller space that costs less. Yeah, he was paying four thousand dollars a month for rent there. What? Who's making four thousand dollars a month? Like who can justify paying four thousand dollars in rent in this business in town? Exactly. Right. That's too much. Yeah. And the fact that it flooded and stuff. Twice, didn't it? Something like that. Like, ugh. Yeah, it was like, I think it was 2013 he got flooded in the spring. I mean. Finally got it fixed, and then 2015 it flooded again. Yeah. 
in the summer. I mean, it's great that he has a situation that he has where money's not the main thing, but but it eventually becomes a main thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, the his uh, his DC twenty twenty is dropped in price a lot. Have you been watching that on Kijiji? When he listed when when he got the new um, Lafont console with no preamps, two preamps. It's got two preamps. I know. I just he got forty eight <laughs> channels and only two preamps. Like, uh, he's got a bunch of line amps. Yeah, but you, if you have, and any he's got a bunch of he's got a bunch of out, outboard gear too, right? Yeah, fair. It's just, it is a mixing console. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, that seems like a waste of money to me. If I bought a console, it so, has to be a recording and mixing console. So he uh, he he started he started trying to sell the the DC twenty twenty. I think he was asking for twelve thousand for it, right? Right. Um, and then I saw it drop to eight. Then I saw it drop to five, and now he's asking three for it. Ooh, yeah. Which is a that, that's a great investment if um, if you can handle the upkeep on it, right? Yeah. And he's made great, many a great records there. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really curious to find out where he goes. Really curious. Uh, I remember being told something about where he's going, but do you remember if it was like north side, south side? No, I wasn't really paying attention. Right. That's fair. Because I was like half drunk <laughs> at the time that we were Excellent. talking about it. <laughs> Um. Okay, so um, and Alden was talking about how he's going to miss the place because apparently he helped build it. Oh yeah, yeah, nice. That's nice. the yeah. He, he said something about how he helped make um, a uh, echo chamber in cool. that space once. Very cool on his dime. Like somehow, yeah, he, he got talked into building an echo chamber on his studio time. On his studio time? Yeah, so he was paying to help him. <laughs> like, Jeez. Just because he was a big enough geek to like be like, oh yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> Wait, why am I doing this and paying you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> Shouldn't I get like some sort of discount on this? <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm going to keep my eye out for that. I took a look at through some of the gear, some of the other gear he was selling, and nothing specifically of interest. But yeah, but I guess he's finally out now. Anyway, <laughs> why am I being poked? The thing. <laughs> all right, all right, you guys can save your bickering for your own podcast. Yeah, Mary. <laughs> um, okay, so I started off by what was that half an hour ago? Um, trying to tell you about this uh, Canadian company on eBay or something. Uh, just a, just a guy on eBay. Okay, um, selling an API twenty five hundred, um, and he's asking twenty nine ninety nine American which works out to be $400 more. And he's selling his, like his is used. Mm -hmm. uh, works out to be $400 more once you factor in conversion um, than Long and McQuaid's new price. 
So you told him that? So I sent him an email last night. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'd, I'd certainly be interested in um, the thing, right? Because I love the API 2500. Um, but if you could get it brand new for less than you guys selling it used. So, okay. So I'm thinking he must be like a... This is the email I, I, I sent him. It says... Hi, did you know your price is higher than what both Studio Economique and Longham McQuaid are selling this thing for? Perhaps you didn't realize you've listed it in US dollars. I'm super interested in this, but it doesn't make sense at your current price. Cheers. His reply, which came in during the podcast here, it was one of the dings everybody heard a few minutes ago. He says, as we are not familiar with pricing on these items is the reason we listed as make us an offer. If you are interested, make us your best offer and we'll see what we can do. Cheers, Ron. I didn't need to use his name. Apologize, Ron. Um, so, still. So you're going to make him an offer? I'm going to make him an offer. I'm going to lowball him. Of course you are. Because, I mean... like, It's used. It's used. And if if his price is even close to the Long McQuaid new price, why would I not just spend a few extra hundred dollars? This is what I'm talking about. Spend a few hundred extra dollars, get the product and the warranty. Yeah, right? well, not that I, API doesn't I'm have with you on warranty. That, but yeah. when I was talking about prices earlier today, I was talking about like, oh, I could buy a thing for 200 bucks that's normally a thousand bucks. I don't care if there's scratches or dings in it because I'm well, getting it for a fraction of the price. And and, and it probably if, plays just as well as it did when it was. And there's 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 something to be said about cosmetics, but when cosmetics doesn't perform doesn't impact performance, then it just makes sense to not worry about cosmetics. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean my new Gibson Les Paul, I paid six hundred bucks for it. <sighs> That still makes me sick. <laughs> it's probably worth fifteen hundred new if Gibson still <laughs> built the damn thing. Is it the uh, studio? Uh, it's a. Is it a Gibson Les Paul? Uh, I don't remember if it's a studio. Hmm. It's definitely not custom. Right. It might be a studio with a Floyd Rose bridge. Oh yeah. Can't remember. Still weird to have a Floyd. No, Rose I think it's a, a standard. Les Paul. actually with a Floyd Rose bridge. Weird to have a Les yeah. Paul with a Floyd Rose. It is weird, mm. but that's part of the charm of why I bought it, especially for that price. Like, yeah, that's fair. That's. I mean, I I know why it was priced at that. It's because most people don't want those bridges on a Les Paul. Yeah, but I have uh, two other Les Pauls with TOM bridges. You have two other Les Pauls? Yes. Like, I have a, a white Epiphone. Okay. And then I have, I call it Les Paul, but it is an LTD Eclipse 1000. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which is pretty much a Les Paul with a thinner neck profile. Right. Um, and even the body is a little bit less wood to it. Gotcha. So. That's fair. Yeah. And then it has EMGs. Whereas my Epiphone has whatever passives they put in their Epiphones. And then there's passives in the Floyd Rose one too. Sweet. Yeah. Then I have a PRS as well. I like that guitar. That's a good guitar. 
my PRS copy got used on the record this weekend. I was very happy about it. Nice. Um, it's not on your wall, so I don't know what you're pointing at. Oh, my it's usually on it's, your wall. It's yeah. Well, okay. So the one that's missing, <laughs> the or uh, the the PRS copy I had made ten years ago now. Um, it uh, Ben comes in from Grand Prairie. And they were really well prepared. Um, the bass player has his own basement studio, but rec- recognizes the limitations, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, so they come in, they're really prepared, um, except for the fact that the guitar player was still drunk when they left Grand Prairie. And, awesome. and so forgot to bring his second guitar. They decided that they weren't going to bring any cabinets, um, and they would just make do with the cabinets that I had. I guess they thought they'd be happy, but the bass player also didn't bring his, his rig at all, just brought his bass. And his reasoning was he's got an Ampeg SVT, um, eight by 10 fridge. Mm. Um, and he loves the tone. So, but he figured that we would just DI anyway. And, it wouldn't be an issue. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, and then I hear him start playing. He's okay. Nothing spectacular, but you know, solid. Yeah. He tries finding a tone through the, uh, Ashdown and the heart key. Just can't get anything at all. Satisfying wants saturation, but doesn't want, so he, he wants overdrive, but doesn't want it to sound overdriven. That sounds like you need to do my routing trick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, wants growl and, and throatiness in his bass. Okay. And I tried, I tried a bunch of different things in, on, the, on the Ashdown and the Harkey, and he didn't like any of them. Um, and so I said, listen... Play with it. Um, I got to set the other guys up anyway. So play with it as much as you can. See if you can find something that you can reasonably make yourself happy with. And he found something that was just kind of okay. okay. He, wasn't, he wasn't horrified by it. Right. Um, and he said to himself, well, it'll just be, it'll just kind of get, you know, blended in, in mixing. Um, but when it was time to actually start tracking him, he'd finally worked himself up to the point where it's just, it, it wasn't good enough. Okay. So then I don't remember if it was him or if it was the new intern, Cody, right. Um, mentioned, well, if you're running through an Ampeg, it's a tube amp, whereas the Ashdown is solid state. It yep. doesn't, doesn't have the same drive. Yep. Um, why don't we run the bass through, the Mesa Boogie yep. into the 4x12 Marshall. Why not? Yeah, so that's what they did. They And, and, and they sat there and tweaked it for, I don't know, about 20 minutes until that's he found probably something. Probably the closest thing you have to an SVT <coughs> well, here in and, the studio. And, and, and he, he, he gets a sound that he likes. Yeah. And I stand in front of it and listen to it, and he says, I love this. I absolutely love this. And he says, why couldn't we get that out of the Ashdown? And it was pretty clear to me that the only difference between the tones was the Marshall 
which is a four by 12 running through the tube head, of course, mm-hmm. had almost no low end. Whereas the Harkey had pretty much the same mid range and high mid tone. Right. But all the low end still there. Right. Anyway, he was happy with it. So we threw a 421 in front of it, added a DI and um, called it a day. Okay. Yeah. And it works. It sounded nice. Blended in with the guitars nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That just makes me think of all the times I've suggested bass players use guitar amps at work and they look at me like, why would I use a guitar amp with a bass? <laughs> it's not made for that. It's, a, it's a speaker cabinet. Yeah. Made it, for whatever you want. Yeah. Well, it was more along the lines of plugging a bass into a guitar amp Oh, in general. And they find that weird? Most players do. I, I, I guess people, people are stuck in their boxes. That's a guitar amp. This is a bass amp. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's fair. You know, despite the fact that the Fender Bassman amp is a guitar amp that was intended, or when it was first built, was intended for bass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brizzo used to used to do that. Eh, um, I don't know if he used a guitar head, but he used a he used a Marshall four by twelve. Fairness, I don't know if it was a Marshall, but he used a four by twelve guitar cabinet um, for his live rig for yeah for a while. Anyway, if it works, why not? Gets yeah. you what you want. Exactly. And, you know? Like I don't know of any like. Well, no, there are twelve inch cabinets for bass. But you usually see 10s or 15s. People don't usually go with 12s. I can't stand 15s. 15s are too big. I don't mind 15s as a PA speaker um, or as like a, a full range-ish or contribution to a full range system. Yeah. But I don't enjoy 15s as, as an individual instrument. Amp, instrument projectile device. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give me 8s for bass. Give me 10s for guitars. Far happier. We even they needed I like a 10s and 12s for bass. Yeah. I have to admit the whatever was going on the bass into the 4x12 it did sound nice. Okay. Yeah. It was it was balanced. It wasn't amazing, but it was really balanced. I probably won't have to do much to it in the mix. That's fair. Yeah. Ooh, bad. All right. And Tired. That's fair. Um, what else? There was uh, there was something else on my list that I wanted to throw at you today. Oh yeah, I um, I downloaded the. Are you you're familiar with Zen Pro's Clipolator, right? Mm, no. So Zen Pro Audio, uh, their music store down in the states, music store studio down in the states somewhere. No idea okay. where I. They've never bothered to look. Um, but the prices are usually pretty good, or at least on par. And um, they have this, because they have the studio built into the store, they've designed this system where, according to them, they can accurately put every piece of gear through the exact same test and have the test completely reliable. Post these, all of these, all of these tests to 
this thing called the Clipolator, and you can scroll through and play or download and mm-hmm. compare um, different devices. Now, the, it's it, it's an ever growing thing. They add they add three or four new devices every week, but um, um, it's an amazing resource to listen to. You know, when, when I was when I was trying to decide between the four fourteen and the Kiwi. Right, that was one of the resources I used. You know, how do, how does someone else use this, and what does it sound like? Um, uh, I compared the um, the Telefunken AK forty seven to the Black Spade, whatever that one was, um, to hear the difference. Right. Anyway, so the, uh, the thing I did yesterday because I don't I, I don't know how I got on it, but I got on this this reading thread of. Um, the Warm Audio Pultec versus the Clark Technic Pultec. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to see if I could hear a difference. And I clearly don't have sense enough, sensitive enough ears because I couldn't hear any difference between the two. Meaning by the Warm Audio. Clark Technic is, is cheaper, though. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's cheaper by a few hundred dollars. Uh, I thought it was one of those ones that was like several thousand dollars for it. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's a clone of the Warm Audio. Okay. Well then, maybe I'll go with the Clark Tech, uh, the Clark Technic instead of the Warm Audio. Although see, I don't get those at work, so it's a Behringer product. Oh, is it? Yeah. Ah, I could get it. There you go. <laughs> um, and they they come in the silver face instead of the blue face. Whatever, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think I've I've established that I don't give a shit what things look like as long as the function is. Yeah. Yeah, there. Now the the reviewers online, <clears throat> and and no one's ever done a uh, like a re- review review. It's just like forum posters. So mm-hmm. grain of salt, of course. But they were saying a block of salt. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dump salt on this and bring it back to life. The um, the warm audio is apparently is apparently um, softer and warmer. Whereas the Clark Technic is a little a little brighter, Damn. and um, one guy said it was a little harder in the high fre- high end high frequencies. Um, That's I, just making me want it more. Fair enough. They say the, they say the same thing about their version of the um, eleven seventy six. Is that it's a little harder? It's a little brighter. But this being internet, I don't believe them. Especially that was, when it comes to pro audio posts. That was actually um, um, Revive Audio. Was Revive Audio is a group out of somewhere. I don't know. They're one of those modding companies. Okay. Um, they buy old stuff, they mod it, they resell it. They buy new stuff. Like they've bought just about everything Warm has and they mod it, upgrade it, and resell it. Um, but their comparison is the Clark Technic 1176 starts off with a little better specs, but has higher, um, has a brighter signal path, and broader, brighter output okay. to it. Um, and they say their mods smooth it out and whatever else they do, but Bleh. yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't see the point in doing mods. If all I'm getting is like one or 2%. Well, that's a thick thing, right? If you can't hear it, yeah, 
yeah. if I can't hear it, then it's I'm not wasting money on it. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes even if I can hear it, but I deem it not enough to justify the cost. Oh, well, and, and and that's the thing, right? Like, I a lot of the stuff that I read about the subtle differences between the $500 thing and the $2,000 thing is all those little few extra percent. Yeah. But they all, the way people describe them almost always sound like it's going to create problems for me in the mix by being bigger, by being, fuller by being yeah, whatever don't necessarily want that. Yeah. And I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly times when you do. Sure. But, but if everything is making things fuller and bigger and something's got to give somewhere warmer right? or brighter or whatever, it's yep. just, okay, well, I guess I'm not buying that because it's not very often that I need one thing to sound like that. Right. Or, yeah. So I was in the not. It's the sum of all parts that needs to sound like that. Exactly right. Which usually means you have to make things sound small and thin. And <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh yeah. The last thing I wanted to. The last thing I wanted to talk about today. Yeah. Is the potential that I've made a mistake. Oh no! Uh, I know. <laughs> Which means it's probably not a potential. It's probably you know. <laughs> so the thing that's been the thing that's been bugging me the last three or four days is last week I did my first analog mix on on um, the songs that I've been working on that EP that I'm trying to put out right right did the first analog mix. It went over pretty good. You didn't give me the files for that yet either. Yeah, I haven't given anybody the files for it yet. You said you would. All right. uh, I'll eventually <laughs> give them to you. <laughs> um, so, apparently the guitar tones are horrendous. Okay. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. Yeah. No, not the point. So, I felt pretty good after that, but it was it was a lot of work. And I started, I, I, I did my customary, you know, review in my head, um, pros and cons. What could I do better? What could I do differently? Right. And then this weekend comes along and, and, and similar genre with this band this weekend. Yep. And I started thinking how I could pull off doing an analog mix for them. And I realized all of the headaches that would come from me doing an analog mix or even, even a partially analog mix. Right. And I started and I, and and I, and I naturally started to question my decision-making in pushing the studio towards being more analog and wondering if, did I make a choice? Am I, are, are we in an era where it's just, I have to go, like full analog or don't even bother? Meh. You know? I don't think so. Because the analog the analog thing hasn't been hasn't been creating any extra interest. 
it's a it's a niche market that's interested in that stuff. That's fair. The majority of of, of uh, any clients we would get are they don't care. Right. So that really it really does become just tools for us to use. Yeah. As engineers. Yeah. Having analog stuff. I'm of the opinion that having analog stuff so that you can at, at the very least record the effects going in mm-hmm. is handy. But I don't know. I just Yeah. I also like it so that if I'm having to if all I'm doing is recording and I'm handing it off to somebody, at least they have right. the sounds that were in my head if I'm recording the sounds going in. Or getting as close as I can to what I wanted right. going in. That makes sense. And then when they get it, just they have to work around what I have to do. It's kind of me forcing my ego on people, I think. <laughs> Been like, this is what sounds good. So now you have to manipulate it to right. sound good to you. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right. Although so- hopefully they, they find that my recordings are... Decent quality yeah. to work with, yeah, yeah. So you don't think you don't think it's a mistake being a being the hybrid studio that we are. No, you said that with some hesitation. Well, having the big ass board is kind of a, a weird one. Well, the board for me is a is a workflow thing. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense for you. It, it, it's, it's in fact, the only thing I haven't questioned. Okay. Because, no, I mean... I, I think a studio like this kind of needs to have at least a, like a few racks of equipment. Maybe they shouldn't be buying stuff every couple months, but... <laughs> So I know I have a problem, but that's not the issue. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> well, that's not that's not the current dilemma <laughs> that we're discussing. <laughs> no, I, I think you should have gears. Maybe you should stop spending money on the gear. You should find stuff that works and just stick with that. I think that's I think that's my biggest issue is the reason that I keep wanting to spend money is. I'm, I buy something, I play with it, like the Finalizer Express, the multiband compressor, mm-hmm. ish. Right. Um, I was hoping that it would be something that it's not, and now that I've had a chance to play with it, I realize that it's not what I was hoping it would I mean, be. I've definitely gotten into. I, I'm glad that I I do more research and I don't jump on buying stuff because like uh, recently I was thinking of buying the soft tube console one right it's called yeah and it looked from initial appearance of it it looked like it would be awesome for me and it still looks like an awesome product because it's a thing that has like EQ compressor um, gates all the it's pretty much a channel strip controller but right. when I did more research into it I found out that it only controls a soft tube plugin and now the soft tube plugin can load UAD 
um, yeah. software into it. Yeah. So you can have an 1176 and control it with that. However, I can't program this MIDI controller to work with, with third-party uh, software. Waves plugin or Oxford or Sonics plugins. Yeah. Or, and yeah. when I found that out, I was just like, okay. No longer interested. No, yeah. 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 If I can't program it to work with my stuff, then I don't want it. Right. Because that's pretty much all I wanted, wanted is a thing like that in conjunction with my MCU so that I could control all my stuff. So, yeah, something, something that you can have buttons and knobs that are dedicated to the thing, right? Although, I don't know, if I got, had like more UAD plugins, maybe then, because probably I would probably buy the Sonics UAD right. stuff and just, then it, if it was loadable on that thing, then that might sway me, but. Well, and, and I'm I think currently in, Sonics will probably eventually be able to expand beyond what they are. Maybe. Right. But I don't know. I just, I would like a, a piece of hardware that I can program certain knobs to be my compressor stuff. Like I load up a track, I can twist the knobs Mm -hmm. and it would just do the things. So then that way I'm not switching from using my, my, I guess I can call it a console and then switching to a mouse and keyboard. Cause that's like, Jarring and it's <laughs> yeah, it's a really weird workflow where I have to slide a thing that's underneath me out to work on something real quick and then right. slide it back in to work on the next thing. It's it's a lot of arm arm movement and I know like having this would still be a lot of arm movement, but it would feel because I'm not I don't know. It's just I know what you mean though. Yeah, yeah. There's something about turning knobs as opposed to mouse click. Yeah. Um, and how many knobs do you need on the controller for it to be worthwhile? Because there, there are definitely controllers well, out there that do one or two knobs, right? Yeah. Well, I, I would need at least a four-band EQ, five... Uh, well, no. Four-band EQ with high-pass, low-pass knobs... Of some kind. Okay. Um, if possible, as a separate part of it, have like a compressor section, uh, maybe a gate or something else as well. But yeah, four band EQ with the compressor section would be the most ideal because I could always make like other things correspond to different knobs. Right. But I mean, that's a lot of knobs still. Yeah. The fear is always that you're going to have to program in each one. Oh, I'm fully expecting that. The thing is, is like if that soft tube thing worked with third party stuff, I would be okay programming every single piece of my software to work with that. Right. Chances are I would just, yeah, make the things that I use all the time work with it and then every, the things right. I don't use all that much I don't give a shit <laughs> yeah yeah 
Okay, I guess that's that's a good end, note to end on. Yeah. Um, we'll see you all next time. Uh, thanks for listening. See ya. Follow our hosts on Twitter at Two Bodies of Water. You got that mic in a comfortable spot yet? I'm still working on it. At Joey R. Engineer. I can't even talk. I don't remember what my point was. This is a boring podcast. Um, I realize at the end of this, we didn't introduce ourselves. On to the internet you go. Go switch off.